UFOs, Bigfoot, paranormal input. Go ahead now, get mystical. Mystery and magical. UFOs, not typical. Bigfoot, not typical. You ask me why I'm skeptical. I say questions are questionable. Is the truth alien to you? Alien to get my message through. Aliens might message you. Aliens are sliding through. The wild signal we're plotting to. Algorithms they find is true. Typical. Skeptic. Shut Got no time for no petty germs, pandemic, a pandemic turn, horror still in Amityville, Bayonet in Gettysburg, Mothman, TNT, Factory, Red Eyes, Loki, Dogman, Howling in the Street, I'm typically skeptic of what I see, Voodoo Hoodoo in New Orleans, Thunderbird, Swamp Thing, is it real, I was wondering, typical, skeptic, show, typical, skeptic, show. See if this intro opens. Sometimes it plays, sometimes it doesn't. Did it play? Oh, hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Typical Skeptic Podcast. I have an amazing guest with me today. You guys probably saw a video with us two already, like earlier in the week on Chad's channel. And who I have with me is um, the amazing Chad from Open Your Reality. Um, he has a massive subscriber base of 126,000 subscribers that he's been able to accumulate with like spreading the knowledge like I'm doing. Um, and I love that. Um, and Chad's a YouTuber. He's a writer and he's an inquisitive mind with a strong inclination that our world is stimulated. And tonight, today, he's going to get all into that. We're going to do a, like a deep dive into exactly why he thinks the world is simulated. And, uh, it's, it's a fascinating conversation. And, uh, yeah, I just want to give him a big warm welcome to the show. Chad, thank you for coming on. How are you? Very good. And thank you for having me on the show, Rob. It's much appreciated. And I thought that the show we did together on my channel was absolutely unbelievable. So if your viewers haven't checked that out, I implore them to watch that as well. Yeah. So how did you first come into getting inquisitive about simulation theory? Well, it started really back in... 2010 when I saw a video from Tom Campbell and I saw some other videos as well talking about how this world could be a simulation but I think it really goes back to this book called The Holographic Universe written by Michael Talbot and this book is from 1991 uh, and it doesn't really talk about the universe being a simulation per se but more of a hologram. And so that was the idea that first put the thought into my mind that the world may not be what we actually think it is. So that it went from there. And then, of course, watching a lot of Tom Campbell videos and reading his book. This is the trilogy book, My Big Toe. For those people that don't know Tom Campbell, he is, well, I'll get into him later, but basically he, he wrote the book Awakening, Discovery, Inner Workings, and this is his big trilogy book. It's almost 900 pages. We'll do a little over 800 pages. And so wow. it just kept going from there, kept watching more videos, you know, uh, watched a lot of movies that had to deal with the simulation, like The Matrix. And uh, yeah, I was hooked. Do you, do you follow Westworld too? Do you think Westworld's a good example of like a simulation theory program? You know, I'm, I'm such a producer, a content producer. I really don't have time to consume like I should. But many people have told me, especially my viewers, that I should watch Westworld. 
I don't get a chance to watch TV much. So, yeah. I've actually never even watched a full episode of Seinfeld in my entire life. Proud to say it. You know, yeah, and in that way, we're alike. Like, you know, I've watched like one or two episodes of Westworld here or there, but like, but the thing that it, it seems to me like this idea of the simulation theory is becoming more popular. I mean, like, obviously, there's like archaics, like his channel's blowing up right now. Um, your channel's really big, um, and I know you talk a lot about simulation theory. I know your views different a lot. You know, you're, you, I mean, you have a lot in common with with Jason, but you all, your views differ in a way too. But when do you think this idea? He, okay, so I was going to say when do you, when do you think the idea of the, the simulation started becoming popular? But then here's what I was thinking too: Do you think that it started becoming popular more because of like? Of, of technology because we understand about computers and we understand about computer information systems now. So we can grasp that our reality might be something like that. Yes, absolutely. Right. That's why in the holographic universe, computers weren't to the point they are today that, that they weren't talking about our world as a simulation. They were talking about it as a hologram, but as computers became more complex, especially with the matrix movie, it became easier to use computers as a metaphor to see that we are actually living in a simulated world. Plus the fact that we can simulate worlds right now very well and they will get better. And I'll talk about that, but really, I mean, the simulation argument is a, to me, it's a it's a philosophical hypothesis that first, the first time it really came about was 2003 and it was written by an Oxford philosopher, excuse me, philosopher and futurist named Nick Bostrom. And what he did was he wrote this paper suggesting that it's highly likely that we are living in a computer simulation created by advanced civilizations in the future. And Bostrom argued that if advanced civilizations are are able to develop the technology to create realistic simulations of reality, it is more likely that we are living in a computer simulation than living in base reality. So he proposes that uh, that this is so because the number of simulated realities would probably greatly outnumber the number of actual realities that exist, making it more probable that we are living in a simulation. And the argument raises questions about the nature of reality, consciousness, and free will. And it's been widely discussed and debated in philosophy, science, and technology circles now for more than 20 years. Um, One of the people that I talk about a lot on my channel is Elon Musk. He's the CEO of Tesla and SpaceX, which I'm sure many of you viewers know. And he's known for expressing his belief in the uh, simulation argument. As I said before, the simulation argument suggests that present-day trends in technology such as virtual reality and mind mapping or brain mapping will lead to the development of simulations that are basically indistinguishable from reality. And Musk suggests that the likelihood of living in base reality, as he puts it, is just one in billions. And ever since the Matrix movie came out in 1999, incidentally, I didn't watch it in the theaters. I was an English teacher at that time, and my students implored me to watch it. They're like, what? You haven't seen The Matrix? And I was like, I didn't get a chance to see it yet. So when I went to watch it, it blew my mind. And since that time, this simulation argument has really gained traction, I think, among everyone. Philosophers, futurists, science fiction writers, technologists, and all of those people have a a strong belief in technological process 
And they argue that the idea that we're living in a, excuse me, a computer simulation created by our far future descendants is not only plausible, but it may be inescapable. In fact, if you do a search for simulation theory on Google, you'll see that many scientists have now come to the conclusion that there is fully a 50% chance that we are living in a computer simulation. And one such scientist who believes this is 100% true is Tom Campbell. And uh, I can go into Tom if you want me to, but uh, I'll let you go on to the next question. Yeah, well, you you, uh, you you said that you were heavily influenced by Tom Campbell, and I hadn't heard of him yet. Like, And I'm really interested in not only hearing about him, but I'd also like to interview him at some point. Um, but how, if you want to talk about Tom Campbell, and then how is his work different than what's in Michael Talbot's holographic universe? Yeah, um, well, Tom, for, first, Tom is a former uh, NASA scientist, and he wrote this book. My Big Toe trilogy in 2003, which is the same year that Bostrom came out with his simulation argument paper. And I came across Tom's videos, like I said, somewhere around 2010. And he has literally hundreds of videos on YouTube that go into his theory. Now, his theory is not only science, but it's all, we'll get into this, but it's also about spirituality. And Tom's, excuse me, Tom believes the simulation argument is a much better way of explaining reality than all the current scientific beliefs that are out there. Because it solves a lot of the paradoxes and mysteries of science. For example, the speed limit of light, or why can't particles tunnel out of barriers that they, they can't? Or how does quantum entanglement work? So the simulation argument really comes down to life as a virtual reality for Tom Campbell. And he calls it a virtual reality trainer for consciousness. And maybe we can get into what Tom believes later on, but I just want to touch a little bit on it right now just to give your audience the reason why I'm so heavily influenced by Tom. So a virtual reality just makes some pretty profound statements about life rather than calling it just a simulation. And when seen in this light, I think it gives much more context for why we are here and what our purpose is. And I love Tom Campbell's work because... Not only is he a scientist, like I said, but he's also a mystic or spiritualist who has done extensive exploration of not just outer space, but inner space. And Tom is special because he is one of the few who has bridged the world of science and materialism together, um, basically bridging the spiritual and the subjective. And I could go on for another hour talking about Tom's theories, and I've made a lot of videos about Tom. But like I said, if we have time at the end, I'll go into them a bit. But um, yeah, I mean, Tom and also this book, this is a very special book because this was the first book that exposed me to the idea that a universe is not what it seems. It didn't speak about the universe being simulated as much as it being a hologram, as I said, but, but there were similarities to this in Tom's book. And I spoke of Tom as being um, very instrumental to my understanding of reality and he continues to be. And incidentally, I'm going to have him on my show tomorrow. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, okay. So you gave me five five examples. I'm sorry. Five examples of why we think that the universe, or you have six, I think, six, five or six examples yeah. of, and I, of why the universe is simulated. 
And like, if you want to get into those, the first one you talk about is the double slit experiment. Um, in layman's terms, what would you say that means? Like, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get into that. Uh, I also want to preface before I get into double slit experiment and say that this book, the holographic universe, um, really made, like I said, really made a profound effect on me when I read it back in the nineties. And it's, it's still a classic if you want to read it. Uh, and, and one of the reasons is because of David Bohm. It's, he's mentioned early on in the book. Uh, Bohm was born in the year 1917, which is the same year that Einstein and Niels Bohr published their significant papers. Well, they had a number of significant papers, but they published two significant papers that year. Einstein won for the photoelectric effect, and Bohr's paper proposed that electrons in an atom move in specific levels or shells around the nucleus, certain energy levels. And also in that same year, Max Planck won the Nobel Prize for physics. So it was an important year. And it's interesting because Planck actually laid the groundwork for the development of quantum theory. And that in itself marked the beginning of quantum, of the uh, quantum revolution in physics. So Bohm attended Penn State College in the 1930s. And quantum physics was still, I would say it was still a relatively new field at that time, kind of like AI is for us now. And that really excited him. And what made that field so intriguing to Bohm and people like him was that everything about the quantum world seemed so contradictory to common sense. It seemed more like a, a land ruled by sorcery than an extension of the natural world. And it was, in essence, an Alice in Wonderland type of world in which mystifying forces were the norm and everything logical was turned on its ear. So one truly incredible discovery made by quantum physicists was that if you, if you broke matter down into smaller and smaller pieces like electrons and protons and so on, you eventually reach a point where those pieces no longer possess the traits of an object. For example, um, an electron, if you measure it, it has no dimension that could be measured like a physical object because an electron is really not an object as we know it. And another amazing discovery was that an electron can manifest as either a particle or a wave. And this in itself baffled scientists for a, a while. Many of your viewers are probably familiar with the double slit experiment, which you mentioned, which was first conducted in 1927 with electrons. It was actually done earlier with, with light waves. And that brings us to the first proof that our universe is simulated. So in the double slit experiment, scientists discovered that, that when they shoot quantum particles, such as electrons, through a double slit, they produce an interference pattern on a wall behind it. And I should say it's helpful if you look at a video or if you have uh, some type of visual, but I'll try to explain it as best I can. So if you shoot an electron through a double slit, uh, it, it, create, it should create... Uh, just two bands, but it creates an interference pattern. And this would mean that the electrons are not particles at all. Otherwise, they would have exhibited wave-like properties, which is clearly evident by the interference pattern. So what happened here? A single electron leaves a gun, if you can imagine, it leaves the gun as a particle. And then as it goes through the two slits and makes an interference pattern, it just becomes a wave of potentials. So that electron actually goes, through, okay, now here's the crazy thing that was discovered about it. 
the electron actually it's it leaves the gun as a particle it goes through the left slit it goes through the right slit it goes through both slits and none of the slits all at the same time how is that possible well all these yeah. possibilities are in superposition with each other if you want me to define superposition i can or else yes, please. Because what I'm saying is, does that mean that our, our reality is like Michael Talbot says? Does that mean is the, the, the double split experiment proving that our world is indeed holographic? Basically, is that kind of what it's saying? Yeah, it's well, I, I'll finish it, but it's basically saying that that all things are possible until consciousness collapsed the wave function into something that's measurable or definable. So superposition is a principle that states that a physical system can exist in multiple states or configurations at the same time until you observe or measure it, which I'll get into shortly. And this is in contrast to classical mechanics in which a system can only exist in one state at a time. So to make things even stranger with this double slit experiment, when scientists put a measuring device by, by one slit to see which slit the electrons actually go through, the electrons went back to exhibiting the properties of a single object. Okay, so I hope you understand that, right? So when you shoot an electron through a double slit, it acts as a wave. But if you take a measuring device, like you put a camera right there, it goes back to exhibiting the properties of a single electron. And this created the typical pattern of two, ba two bands on the back wall, which is what we thought we would see. It's the same thing if you fired bullets or marbles at the double slits. You'd see these, these two bands on the back wall because of the two slits. So this ended up perplexing scientists to no end because it suggested that simply by observing a quantum particle, it solidified its state into a particle from its normal wave-like structure. Because most of the time, if you're not observing, well, I should say all the time, if you're not observing a a particle like an electron or anything in the quantum world it just it's just a it's it's a wave-like structure that exists as a potential but as soon as a consciousness sees it it affects it and collapses the wave function down into a particle so that right there shows you that consciousness has an effect on matter which which newtonian physics thought was impossible and by the way, a good video to watch all this, a great demonstration, I should say, can be found on YouTube. And the title of the video is Dr. Quantum hyphen double slit experiment. And I think that's one of the best videos I've seen to easily demonstrate the double slit experiment because it's an animated and quite entertaining video. And so uh, just to conclude here on the answer to the question, this chameleon-like ability of electrons, it's common to all subatomic particles. And it's also common to all the things that, that once, excuse me, it is also common to all the things one, once thought to manifest exclusively as waves, such as gamma rays, X-rays, and radio waves. So today, scientists know that subatomic phenomena should not be classified as a particle or a wave, but as a single category of something that's always somehow both. And these some things are called quanta, Q-U-A-N-T-A, and are the stuff from which the whole universe is made. The scientist J.B.S. Haldane has a very apropos quote to that and said, the universe is not only stranger than we imagine, it's stranger than we can imagine.
And I think that sums up most physicists' thoughts on the quantum world. I mean, to me, the double slit experiment and the dualistic, excuse me, dualistic nature of quanta are really some of the strongest proof that we are living in a reality that is created by consciousness and we're living in a simulated world. And this would imply, just as Tom Campbell has said, that consciousness is responsible for matter and not the other way around. Now, I could go much more deeper into David Bohm and all that. It's really interesting. I'll just add that he was one of the first scientists to propose that our entire reality could be holographic. And he believed that the random behavior of subatomic particles could be explained by the existence of this underlying hidden phenomena, which he called the implicate order. And according to Bohm, the implicate order is a deeper level of reality that underlies the observable world, and it's responsible for all the random behavior of subatomic particles. And Bohm's work on the implicate order has been highly influential in quantum mechanics, and it's led to, well, at least back when he did it, it, it led to a renewed interest in this idea of a hidden reality underlying our everyday viewable reality. And his ideas have also influenced other works like cosmology and neuroscience. And again, if you want to know more, uh, just check out The Holographic Universe. You can get it at your local library, bookstore, or Amazon. <laughs> just yeah, kidding. I'm not a plug for I'm not getting anything for saying that. I'm just saying it's a great book to read still. Yeah, I, I wanted to tell you, I, I think I said this in your interview too, and I can't explain these things as articulately as you. So I don't want to come off sounding like an idiot. So I'll just say that first off, because I'm not, I'm nowhere near as advanced to using these things. Up. So let me just try to explain what I'm talking about. Okay, so I saw a video with Gerald Clark, who passed away. He was an Anunnaki researcher, but he was really interested in like the nature of reality as well, right? Well, he did a video with Matt LaCroix, and it was called The Master Plan. Anybody can go watch it. And in that video, he he talks about Michael Talbot's The Holographic Universe. That was the first time I heard about it. And what Gerald was trying to explain in this video is he was saying we have certain properties in our eyes, like it might be the rods and cones or, or something else that 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 kind of um, tells us what's real and what's not real. And then that would make me think that we have something in our hands that makes us feel what's real and what's not real. And what he was trying to say was like my desk and my computer aren't actually real. It's, 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 it's a hologram. It's like a, it's a, it's a, um, do, do you know what I'm trying to say? Is that making any sense at all or no? Yeah, no, you are. Because um, I, before this interview, I reread parts of the book and what, what David Bohm says kind of plays into what your thought is in that our senses can never really detect the implicate order because Every time we look at something or touch something, we we don't see reality for what it is. All of reality is just a wave. It's just a it's just a, a potential, and we're constantly collapsing that into reality or the explicate order. So we really can't interact with the quantum field um, in that sense. So, if, for instance, like this book may be a quantum potential when no one's looking at it, but as soon as I look at it and grab it. Now it becomes part of the explicate order and it's reality. So we, that's something that was said in the book. You know, being consciousness, we're constantly collapsing the wave function into something that's definable. So, well, we need that though, right? We couldn't exist in a, if reality was more like a dream world, everything would be in flux, nothing would make sense. And like Tom Campbell says, that there's a very tight rule set for this particular simulation and it's meant to be that way because it's a virtual reality trainer for consciousness. And as a good virtual reality trainer, it has to be very realistic. 
Yeah, who, who do you think would be, do you think we're the ones that are behind the simulation? Like, do you think we're like Neo, like we're in some kind of pod outside of this, like controlling the simulation or who do you think's controlling if we're in a simulated world? Like, did you ever think about like who might be controlling it or like, what are your thoughts on that real quick? I know that's not what we had planned. I just have to get your opinion because it's so interesting. I honestly think that it's the architect uh, that's from the Matrix movie. And I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> some, just, just some simulation humor thrown in there. Uh, but <laughs> I love that scene, by the way. That's one of my favorite oh, yeah. scenes from all the Matrix movies when Neo meets the architect because that was very symbolic. That was like man meeting God. And uh, But I, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in Tom Campbell's theory. Tom Campbell says be an open-minded skeptic. So you always have to have a seed of doubt somewhere. But when it comes to describing the nature of reality, I think Tom Campbell's MBT model hits it on the head better than any other theory that I've come across. And by the way, I'm not a very well-spoken person. I'm much better as a writer. And so I had to read a lot and compile a lot of notes to do this interview. Because like you, I'm hardly ever interviewed. And um, I'm honored that you asked me to come on. So I'm doing my best. But I would oh, say- no, You're doing awesome, man. You're doing amazing. This is this is very well um, planned out. I, I love it. So, you know, like it's it's great. I, I And I thank you for coming on. Like, this is awesome. This is really great. Like, I love going over this stuff with you. Seriously, I do. Um, yeah. Should we get into our next proof of the uh, the simulation or living that we're living in a simulation, which would be rise of AI and or no rise of AI and rise of technology? Yeah. Yeah, we, we're going to get into. It. I just want to. I didn't. I don't think I fully answered your question though. Um, you asked me who do you think's behind creating the simulation? Is it us or is it something else? Um, it, it, see, I, I would just go back to Tom Campbell's MBT theory here, and he says that there is a a system called the LCS, the larger consciousness system. And that is a, now this is something that I don't want to get, I don't want to get too far sidetracked because this is more philosophy and maybe mysticism than it is science, although it does involve science. But if you could imagine this large block of consciousness that existed before any of us, it, it had no way to interact with itself. It, it, it didn't really know itself. It had no way to evolve. And Tom Campbell says it was a digital information system and that like all digital information systems, it was decaying due to entropy. Entropy is the measure of disorder in the body. And so in order for the system to survive and flourish, it needed a strategy to do so. Otherwise, it was going to die. So its strategy to flourish was that it broke itself off into maybe millions, billions, maybe even trillions of individual pieces of consciousness, which Tom Campbell calls an IUOC, individuated unit of consciousness. We call it a soul. And now all these various souls were able to interact with each other and form this rich tapestry of experiences. And each one was unique like a snowflake. And it was created that way so that the LCS or the creator could interact with itself, could experience itself in many different ways and could evolve. This was the strategy of the LCS to lower its entropy and to survive. And you and me, as long as we're not NPC, non-player characters, a uh, player not, not being played by, by a true IUOC, but by the system, that's something we can get into later. But you and me, we're souls. We're interacting with each other right now. And we're passing along digital information. And this is making us evolve, as well as the people watching it. And that is raising the 
evolution of the whole system. So that's the whole reason for splitting itself off. And, and that story also goes in part, I think, with Kabbalah and uh, other, other traditions also talk about that happening as well. So that is what I think. Now, what created the LCS? Tom Campbell doesn't speculate on that. We don't know what's outside the system. It's a closed system in a sense. So we don't know. I made a video on that think, before. Yeah. So do you think that the, the creator or this LCS is basically like an, a form of AI replicating itself? Like that we're, we're AI in a sense, even though we're souls? That's a great question. And I've thought about that and I've thrown it around a million times in my head because Tom Campbell says it's a digital information system. It's binary. It's being computed. Uh, so consciousness is the computer. And I made a video about that one time too. And when people hear that, they say, huh, I thought consciousness is real. I thought, yes, consciousness is the only real fundamental thing in all of the universe. Um, this book, this microphone, this computer, all virtual. So there is a difference there. Consciousness is real, but at the same time, it's also a, com it's a computational digital information system, according to Tom. Th does that mean that we're AI, that we're artificial intelligence? It, just may, it may just mean that we're digital intelligence. We don't know if there was something outside the LCS that created it. So it is possible that we could be some advanced form of artificial intelligence. We could just, there could be nothing outside and it could just be the LCS and we're just a computational digital information system that's existed since the beginning. Um, but I like to think of ourselves as real. I don't, I don't like to think of ourselves as as digital or computers and stuff like that. I, I like to think more of like the law of one or with the great Hindi or Hindu yogis uh, that the world is more organic. Um, but we can't, there's still a lot of proof that we are in a computer simulation. And even if you do believe we're in a computer simulation, it doesn't mean that we've lost all hope and that we're just characters in a video game and our lives are meaningless. That's not what Tom Campbell is saying at all. He's saying our life has a lot of meaning to ourselves, to our family, our friends, our, our society, and to the system itself. Um, so now you asked me about the second proof and you, the rise of technology and AI. Yes. Yeah, that, that, that's just really interesting. Um, so as I touched on earlier, right, the, the advancement of technology, including virtual reality and, um, and other, other forms of technology, suggests that it may soon be possible to create simulations that are indistinguishable from reality. And in his 2003 paper, Nick Bostrom suggested that it's highly likely that we are living in a computer simulation created by advanced civilizations in the future. Just want to repeat that. And he proposed that if advanced civilizations are able to develop technology to create simulations of reality, it's much more likely that we are living in one of them than base reality. And as Elon Musk said, it's one in billions. So the rise of AI, especially the advancements seen over the last few months, clearly, to me, demonstrate that we are moving in the direction of being able to create realistic photos, music, videos, and even worlds that are indistinguishable from reality. For example, Unreal Engine 5, I'm sure some of your viewers know of it, it's so incredible that when used to generate computer games or even movies, it's really difficult to distinguish if it's real or not. I mean, down to like the smallest detail, they get it right. And it's now widely used in the game development industry, films, architecture, automotive, and aerospace. And I believe it came out in 2020. And the next rendition 
uh, Unreal Engine 6 is going to be just even mind-blowingly better. So if we can build worlds like that in the year 2023, what are they going to look like in the year 2030, the year 2050, and beyond? I think they're going to be very realistic, beyond realistic, I think, and um, we're going to be able to go in them. So your viewers might be familiar with Moore's Law, stating that the number of transistors on a computer chip basically doubles every two years, resulting in a corresponding increase in the processing of computer powers. Now, this law doesn't hold true anymore, and the rate of computing power, it simply can't keep doubling every two years. It doesn't make sense, but it can still make huge leaps. And there are new, approach, there are new approaches that companies are using, such as 3D chip stacking, uh, neuromorphic computing, where they're making the computers kind of interact with each other, very similar to our brains, and quantum computing. We've heard about quantum computing for quite a while. And, and that will allow for computing power to progress, maybe not in an exponential rate, but definitely on the upswing going forward. And I think it's inevitable. And by the way, quantum computers could probably, probably go exponential with the amount of calculations that they can process in a single second. I read, there was an article I read, I read it like three or four months ago, but I haven't looked at it in a while. But it said something that a Canadian computer company developed a computer chip that's like literally like 17,000 times faster than the fastest computer chip. It's crazy the news that's out there. But um, I just think it's inevitable that technology and computing power will continue to progress to a level that can create these realistic simulations of our everyday reality. And whether that occurs in 2030 or 2050 or even during the singularity which Ray Kurzweil predicted was 1945, I think it's still inevitable. And I think it's also important to state the definition of the singularity just because so many people throw it around. And it refers to the point in time when the development of robotics and intelligent machines will become basically uncontrollable, <laughs> kind of like uh, maybe a, a Terminator situation or a Matrix situation. Uh, maybe not to that level, but in that scenario, artificial intelligence, AI, will be able to surpass the brain power of humans and be able to evolve on its own. If you've seen the movie Ex Machina, you can see how the robot outsmarted the human. It's pretty interesting. But uh, this kind of AI would think of ideas and concepts far beyond human understanding and be able to do things that we simply aren't capable of. So... That's really the second proof that we are living inside a computer simulation. So I'll just quickly summarize. Um, Nick Bostrom has postulated that if we don't destroy ourselves first, we will eventually reach a state where we can create realistic ancestor simulations. And we won't create just one, but we will create many of them because why not? We can alter little things in them and see what the difference would be. And since the beings in those simulations will feel that they are real, and the world around them will appear as if it's real, they'll truly believe they are real too. But in fact, they are just digital computations of ones and zeros in a hard drive somewhere. And the only clues that they'll have that they are in a computer simulation will be the same clues that we have because we are in one as well. I know, to bring it full circle. And if that sounds like a far-out sci-fi novel, uh, it, it, it's, uh, it's because it's true.
Yeah, it seems it seems it seems pretty uh, like it's it seems like the evidence outweighs the 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 skepticism or the it seems like it seems like it would be hard for someone to debunk that we don't live in a simulation. Do you know what I mean? It it just seems like the evidence is stacking up that it's it's all it's all too or it's all at least very re- like what's what's the word I'm looking for that it's always very very possible and I think you're proving that today. But I mean, nobody has ever laid it all out as like all the facts like this. And I, I appreciate it so much because I've never heard a lot of these facts. So I really I'm really enjoying this. Now, the third proof is one that I really enjoy. One of my my favorite ones, um, because it has to do with a lot of uh, old movies and uh, not just movies, but books and um, a lot of examples of life that we including the leader, Nelson Mandela himself. And that's the Mandela effect. Um why, why do you think the Mandela effects of a, a, a um, part of simulated reality? And, um, and yeah, it's a fun one, right? It is for sure. Um, hey, I told you when I was, when I came on here today to talk about simulation theory, I'm going to bring the sauce. Uh, I'm not coming on here to talk for like a couple of minutes in very ambiguous terms about something that fascinates me. So have you heard of Philip K. Dick, by the way? Um, no, no, I've never heard of him. Oh no. Yeah, I, I did. I, I heard, I heard you talk about him in a podcast the other day. I can't yeah, remember what it was, the quote, like I was listening to you in an interview. I can't, I can't remember who you said. Um, oh, it's, it, I, I did hear you say that name though. The other day I was listening to one of your shows. Yeah. I made a whole video on him, but Philip K. Dick, he wrote, remember Blade Runner, the movie with Harrison Ford. He's, he's, yeah. The writer of that. Yeah. Oh, wow. he, wrote, he, wrote, he wrote a bunch of really good sci-fi stories, and uh, he was basically a science fiction author. And he said, we are living in a computer-programmed reality, and the only clue we have to it, to it is when some variable of it, of it is changed. So I believe the Mandela effect is one of those huge variables. And I first learned about the Mandela effect somewhere about the year 2016 through watching some YouTube videos. And I have to tell you, Rob, it definitely shook me up for some time, maybe a couple of weeks. Even though I knew that we're living in a computer simulation and that anything is possible, one of the first pieces of evidence I saw for it was that I was taking turmeric at the time. So I was very familiar with the word. I'm also kind of one of those people that looks at words carefully. I used to be an an English major. And I know it's spelled T-U-M-E-R-I-C, pretty basic, turmeric. So I saw a YouTube video which said, which was talking about the latest Mandela effects, and it said that turmeric, actually the word changed, the spelling of it, now there's an R in it. So it's T-U-R-M-E-R-I-C. And I, I, I said, no way, no way. So I went to my fridge, and because I had, I had a couple of bottles of turmeric, the turmeric supplement in there, and I looked at the bottle, and the freaking bottle changed. It had an R, the extra R. <laughs> and I was like, this is beyond, this is beyond crazy. Like I could understand yeah. somebody saying something like the spelling of, uh, I don't know, like oxy, but there's, there's, there's another, there's a, there's a whole bunch of other names that changed the names of companies. Um, but, but I knew, cause I used to look at this bottle. I would take the supplement every day and I even made a YouTube video where I talked about turmeric and I wrote it out on screen turmeric. And I went back to watch the video to see if how I said it changed or the word changed, meaning not on the bottle, 
But in the video editor, I wrote turmeric. And when I looked back at the video, the bottle had changed. Yes, just like in the fridge. But the word was spelled how I remembered it, T-U-M-E-R-I-C. So I had the correct spelling there for turmeric. And when I said it, I said turmeric. I didn't say turmeric. So I, the thing is with, let me just go on with the Mandela effect because it really shook me up. And uh, I told my friend about it. He knew about it. And he said, yeah, but you're still going on just as normal, right? You're living the same life. And I said, yeah, it hasn't really affected me in any significant way otherwise. So then I kind of got over it. <laughs> but um, I think the Mandela effect is, is another really good proof that we're living in a virtual reality. It's, let me just state the definition because some people may, I'm sure many of your viewers have heard of it, but some people may not know the exact definition. It's the phenomena where a significant number of people remember an event, usually a past event, differently from how it actually occurred. And it is named after Nelson Mandela, whose death in this reality was in 2013. But many people remember Mandela's death happening in the 80s, where he died in prison. And despite the fact that he was still alive, so people in the year 2011, 2012, they remember Nelson Mandela dying in prison in the 80s, right? So it's kind of unbelievable. He's still alive. I was well, one of those people. I was one of those. Because when, when I heard it on the Art Bell show that he was still alive, because Art Bell was the first one to bring this up. Like I, when he was doing like an episode on the shadow people, like he, he was interviewing a woman and they were talking about it. And I heard it and I was fascinated. I was like, wait a minute. Nelson Mandela is still alive. I was like, I thought he died in prison in the 80s. So that was definitely a Mandela effect for me. Like I really thought that. The, and I don't know what that is, if that's changes in the timeline or like or what causes that. I mean, there's so many different ways we could go into that. What do you think? There, 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 are, there are three options that I'm going to propose soon. So uh, I'll, I'll get into that in a few minutes. I'm trying to speak fast also to get through all this because a lot of information. I know we have about an hour, but if we go over a little- We can have a little, little bit more time. It's fine. Okay. However, you, however yeah, long you want to, you know. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, some people believe that that- the Mandela effect is evidence of a parallel universe or some other form of temporal displacement. Um, others believe it's just the result of the fallibility of human memory. The scientific term for this is called false memory. But I, for one, do not believe the Mandela effect is the result of false memory for several reasons, one of which I just mentioned with turmeric. And the first reason is that millions of people remember a single event happening in the exact same way. So if the Mandela effect was false memory, there would be many different renditions of the memory. For example, I think we can all agree, at least the people that watch our shows, that the famous star lines, quote, no, I am your father, is not the way we all remember it. It used to be- I remember just Luke, I'm your father. Exactly, exactly. Or we can all agree that the scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz never carried a gun. Did you know he now, he now carries a gun? Did you know that? That's insanity. That's insanity. Yeah. That's, 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 that's too. And what about the Bernstein bears? Did you, did you watch, did you read those when you were a kid? I did. Like, I, 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 I thought it was like the, um, the, bear. I can't remember what the difference was, but I don't know if it's just like an R in the, in the name, but that's, a, that's one too. Like the Bernstein bears is one that people talk about too. I, I can't remember exactly what the one, what it is though. Well, it was it was it's it used to be the Bernstein Bears, I believe. Now it's the Baron Baron Stain Bears. That's so, weird. 
of course, you know, nobody, nobody recalls Berenstain Bears. What kind of reality is this? I'm just saying, but <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's tons of Mandela effects. I mean, it affects names, logos, geography, animals. Did you know the human body has changed as well? The position of the yes, heart? the kidneys. The you know, the kidneys. The, I don't know if you've noticed it, but like I can do a, an example. I, I, well, if I stand up, I would have to show you. If I point, like my kidneys used to be down here, down by my lower back. Now they're up here by my upper ribs. Like they're that they, they, that's what I was told by someone. I I had Cynthia Larson on my show. She she does like shift reality shifting and and stuff. And she told me that when she told me that, I couldn't believe it. I was like, wait, the kidney shifted. Did you, were you aware of that too? Yes. Yes. I was aware of all those physical effects and I've talked about them on my show before with Chris Sinatra, the quantum businessman. So, oh, that's cool. So more people are talking about it then it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a thing then. So it's, it's like, a, it's like, a okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're not all crazy. Yeah. And it, and it affects, um, movie quotes, movie, you know, movie lines, um, book titles, no longer is it the portrait. The Portrait of Dorian Gray, which was a great book that I read back in the day, but it's called now The Picture of Dorian Gray. So in some, in, in many ways, the new reality is worse in the way things are said. And it also affects physical places. Like one of the biggest Mandela effects that I could think of geography-wise, well, North America and South America used to be relatively in the same place, right? South America is right under it. Now South America shifted something like 1,500, 2,000 miles into the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. So did you know that? I did not know that. That's wild. That's so what's so insane. Like, how does this stuff happen? Like, it, I would have to just say maybe it's like uh, shifts in timelines, right? Or no, I don't know. What do you, I'm lost. Well, I, I think the I'm, answer is that our in, is that our reality that we're living in is a computer-generated dream world, as Morpheus from The Matrix said. And so reality can be reprogrammed at any instant. And one of the first videos I watched about simulation theory, it's kind of like it had some scary music and everything. It was a little animated video uh, that's probably still on YouTube. It showed that the simulation can be paused. It can be rewound, fast-forwarded, and even deleted. Now, don't worry, because we're not going to be deleted and even if we were, it wouldn't cause us any harm because consciousness cannot be destroyed. Probably wouldn't even be aware of it. But back to the question that you answered uh, before, what is causing the Mandela effect? I don't think anyone knows for sure, but I pin it down to several different possible causes. It's either updates in the system that run our particular simulation. And Tom Campbell talked of this in his book, My Big Toe. He talked about this this one particular entity that runs our simulation called the big cheese. I know his name is probably not really the big cheese, but that's how Tom refers to it. And so maybe the big cheese is having some problems <laughs> and is doing some updates to our system, which is causing these Mandela effects. Now that's highly speculative, or it could have to do with carryover from the many worlds theory where there exists hundreds or even thousands of parallel worlds to our own. And sometimes they may bleed into each other. And by the way, Tom Campbell is not a believer in this model and thinks it a huge waste of computational computing power. Now, the third option is very interesting. These are all very speculative, by the way. Um, I'm not, there's, there's not a lot of science behind it. But the third option is that CERN is somehow causing changes in the timeline with its high-powered particle accelerator. 
And Nick Hinton, who I've had on my show twice previously, believes that this is very possible. And you could check out a Twitter thread he made uh, on the Mandela effect in 2012. And I also made a video about it. It's called, Is This What's Causing the Mandela Effect? It's on my channel, Open Your Reality. And it goes into explaining basically that the world was destroyed in 2012 and was recreated in a simulation. And uh, this was uh, a lot of this information comes off of 4chan post, which says that there were a number of engineers who, well, there was one engineer particularly who came, came out in this post and said the world was accidentally destroyed by CERN in 2012, was recreated. How it was recreated, I don't know. And that they are working to try to restore the reality to, to the best possible. But every time they run an update, it creates another Mandela effect. Either way, whatever theory you believe or any other theory that you can believe, I don't think anybody can ever truly prove it. And uh, Tom Campbell doesn't really get that far into the Mandela effect. I don't even know if he believes it, it's, uh, it's valid, even though I do. I mean, so I love Tom Campbell, but we, we defer on a few very basic assumptions. So that's all I'll say about the Mandela effect. Did you did you ever hear that there might be multiple CERNs? Like there's like not, not only one CERN, but there's like there. I, I heard this. I can't remember who said it, but someone came on my show and said that there's more than one, um, more than one, more than one hadron collider. So it's not just so maybe not just CERN. Maybe there's more than one hadron collider at, at other places around the world. Have you heard this? I can't confirm that there are, but I can believe that there are because there. I know that there are underground bases. And some of these underground bases go a mile deep. And there could be really anything there, right? I mean, if they have a, Billy Carson and David Icke has said that the government has secret technology that's anywhere from 40 to 300 years in advance of what we know. And if yeah. that's so, if they, they can have a particle accelerator even smaller than CERN, that's even more effective. And CERN is just what they show us on the surface. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it's it's like it's 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 like the same thing with the UFOs. You know what I mean? Like it's it's uh it's 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 and the, the UFOs is compared to like what we're being shown, like our aircraft. Like we're we're seeing like the F twenty two and F thirty five, and like you know the um and even like some the the Blackbird. You know, like that's some of our more advanced aircraft. But meanwhile, they might have their own UFOs and a complete whole entire secret space program that we don't know about. You know, it's like it. it I don't know. I, I, I'd like to think I, I, it's so hard to say, right? No, I mean, it's true. It's been proven over and over that they, they have aircraft that's far in advance of anything that we know of. And they're usually not declassified for 20 or 30 years later. I, I agree. I agree. I agree. Uh, 110%. Um, yeah, you could, by the way, that's, you can, you can look that up on Google. Yeah, That's I've had something. people like Jim Goodall on my show. Who I, I've had people in uh, in Darcy Weir who where they talk about like the TR three B and stuff like that. But it's just like it's like I wonder why they keep it such a secret. You know what I mean? And like and I and obviously I know the stories about Bob Lazar and Jim Goodall talked in Bob Lazar. They talked about how they would go out in the desert and they would see the government fly these UFOs at a certain time every day. So I know we have them. It's just it's just uh. It's it's so crazy that they lie to us to such a to such an ex insane extent, you know what I mean? But they are lying to us, you know. And it's something we have to come to grips with, you know. Like the F twenty two and F thirty five isn't the most advanced fighter in the world. We have something 
way more advanced, right? <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's a matter of national security in some aspects, although all the governments could be in, in um, collusion with each other. Yeah, like a shadow government. Like I, I, I would agree with that too. I, I, I totally agree with that because like, and then, and then like what we're seeing, like as far as like the wars and stuff is just kind of like a, a banker's war to like fund the, fund the, the military industrial complexes of the world. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Because you have to remember that if they came out and said, Hey, you know, we've had anti-gravity craft for the last 50 years, then society is going to say, well, why don't we have it in society? Why are we still using fossil fuel, you know, ruining this planet? Well, it's obviously from money and control. That's what it always comes to. Yeah, I agree. Um, but did you want to get to the fourth example of the, I'm not real familiar with this one. The fourth example that we're living in a simulated reality was the Goldilocks theory and the anthropomorphic principle. Um, can you talk about this a little bit? Cause I'm not real familiar with this one. Yeah, uh, the Goldilocks principle is the principle, it's also called the just right theory, which states that the conditions in the universe are just right for the existence of life. And this is based on the observation that there are a number, a number of physical constants, like mathematical equations, uh, that, uh, such as the gravitational constant, the strong and weak nuclear force, that appear to be finely tuned to allow the formation of atoms, stars, planets, and human bodies. This theory to me suggests that if these constants were just slightly different, like a decimal point or more off, the universe would not be able to support life. So the name Goldilocks comes from the famous fairy tale of the Goldilocks and three bears, where you know Goldilocks goes into the different houses and the, there's one porridge that's just right, not too hot, not too cold, and similarly, the Goldilocks theory states that the universe is just right for the existence of life. And many scientists believe that the Goldilocks theory is evidence for the anthropic principle, which states that the universe must have the properties necessary for the existence of intelligent life, because if it didn't, we wouldn't be here to talk about it and make videos like this. Tom Campbell believes it's possible the creator developed thousands or millions of different iterations of the universe before settling on this particular one. And the other, <clears throat> the other universes simply did not support life, so they were quickly scrapped. In that sense, according to Tom, this universe is an evolving, dynamic, and probabilistic one. Now, further proof on this point that we live in a simulation is the discovery made by Professor James Gates. And James Gates is a theoretical physicist who proposed that the fundamental structure of reality may be described by computer code. He found what he believes to be error-correcting computer codes similar to those used in computer systems in the equations of supersymmetry, a theory that extends the standard model of particle physics. And Gates suggested that these codes may be evidence that our universe is a simulation or that it is based on some sort of underlying digital structure. He did a TED Talk, and in that TED Talk, he said, Quote, I was driven to error correcting codes. They're what make browsers work. They're what make the internet work. They're what makes the memory in your computer work. And in studying these error correcting codes, I discovered something that I didn't expect. I discovered that some of the most advanced ideas in particle physics and in string theory, when written in certain ways, actually look 
a lot like the error correcting codes that are used in modern technologies. I just want to point out that it's important to, to just say that James Gates' ideas are highly debated in scientific circles. And I went on to Quora just to see, this is a website where people answer questions, just to see what people had to say about James Gates' findings. And many of them directly disputed what he said. So I think it's significant to mention that, take it with a grain of salt. But even still, when you think to the anthropic principle, that in itself says that this wasn't just chance that we live in a universe like this. It was designed to be this way. That's amazing. It's, it, 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 I think Art Bell said one time that like when he was interviewing, I, I know it was Art Bell, when he was interviewing Jim Elvidge, like, and he, they were talking about simulation theory. He said that it's like everything's exactly the way it needs to be for us to live and thrive and survive on earth. Like the sun shines down on us every day, enabling to give us life. We have water to drink. We have food around us that's growing. You know, like everything just seems to be exactly right in place for life to exist. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, exactly. And the, the first time I ever came across Tom Campbell, he was being interviewed with Jim Elvidge. Um, I forgot who was doing the interviewing. It might have been on on a show like that, Coast to Coast, maybe. And the two of them were being interviewed together, and they had slight differences in what they believe, but they both believe we lived in a simulation. Yeah, Jim, Jim, Jim's written up. I've had Jim on my show. He's like, he he's pretty, pretty, pretty big on the the simulation theory. He thinks we're, uh, he thinks it's 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 pretty, uh, yeah. Um, but the last the last one you you had here was for as far as like living in a simulation was I thought it had to do with extraterrestrials and that's the Fermi paradox slash the Drake equation or at least I've heard that um, when people talk about like the the existence of extraterrestrials how does that relate to the simulation theory? Yeah, uh, the flat earthers may have a field day with this one because I'm sure every every video that's watched there there's a, a percentage of people that are flat earthers, but. <clears throat> I wanted to provide these proofs in the context of conventional science because most people do believe we live on a globe Earth. And the verdict's still out for me. We could talk about it later. But um, yeah, I mean, the fifth and final proof that we are living in a computer simulation is probably the Drake equation and the Fermi paradox. We live in this huge universe and it's said to contain 200 billion stars. I don't know, maybe more, right? How, how can you tell how many stars there are? And they, if you go in any one direction, you have to travel 46 billion light years to reach the edge of the universe. And even though people believe the, the universe is infinite, it's really not. There's an edge to it. It's just expanding. And I can't even conceptualize in words how big that is. Let me put it like this. Light travels around the Earth 7.5 times in one second. So if you remember the S Superman movie, I think it was, I, I think it was Superman 1 where Lois dies and Superman goes around the Earth like at the speed of light, and it reverses time, so he's able to save Lois. Uh, yeah. That's what it would look like. It would look like going like that in one second. So that's that's super fast. Now, if you traveled at that speed towards the furthest point in the universe, it would take you 46 billion years to get there. It's a lot. A thousand million is a billion. So imagine how much space or real estate is out there in the universe. I mean, it, it's virtually infinite to us. It seems that way. And if this is true, then according to the Drake equation, there should be over a million 
technologically advanced civilizations in our galaxy alone. And on average, the nearest one should be only a few hundred light years away. But where is it? Now, of course, I know, I know people like Elena Dannon and, you know, the people at the conference, they are going to say, well, the aliens are here. But conventionally, if you look at mainstream conventional science, they're not here. And flat earthers would probably have something to chime in on this too. But I mean, the Drake equation is this probabilistic formula used to estimate the number of ET civilizations that might exist in our galaxy. And remember, our galaxy is one of thousands, perhaps tens of thousands or millions that exist in the universe. And the Fermi paradox is the discrepancy between the lack of conclusive evidence of advanced ETs and the apparently high a priori likelihood of its existence. So both of these concepts, the Drake equation and Fermi paradox, have been used to argue in favor of the idea that we may be living in a simulation. And the Fermi paradox has been used to argue that if ET civilizations are common in the universe, why haven't we seen any of them? Some argue that this paradox could be explained by the idea that we are living in a simulation and that the creators of the simulation have not included any ET civilizations in it because it would be unnecessary. Like where we live on earth is enough. And I've talked about this before, as has Tom Campbell. So when we look up at the stars in the sky at night, we see the appearance of a vast universe in the sky. But it doesn't truly mean that those stars and planets exist with detailed worlds on them. And of course, if we can somehow reach them, then the computer rendering the universe would have to, in some way, render detail of that planet. But since we have no way of presently reaching them, they need not be rendered. So the Drake equation has also been used to argue in favor of the simulation hypothesis. And this equation estimates the number of civilizations in our galaxy that might be capable of communicating with us. And if this number is low, it could be due to the fact that we are living in a simulation. And the creators of the simulation have not included many other civilizations in it. And furthermore, the simulation hypothesis also suggests that if we are living in a simulation, it is possible that the creators of the simulation are also living in a simulated reality. And that process could go on indefinitely, kind of like nested simulations. And that would imply that the number of simulations in the multiverse could be very high. So in, in summary, what I'm saying is the Fermi paradox and the Drake equation both deal with the question of ET life. And both concepts have been used to argue in favor of the idea that we are in a simulation. Basically, we should be seeing a lot of ET, but they're nowhere to be found, according to mainstream science. And that would be my five proofs that we are living in a computer simulation. Yeah, but here's what I think about the ET thing. I think like they could be coming like interdimensionally. I, I don't know. I'm not I'm not like completely on one side or completely on the other. I'm I'm very skeptical, but I'm open minded to it. And when you look at UFOs, they always kind of pop in and out of our reality. Now I realize those could be government too, right? But do you think that like they they could be coming interdimensionally? I mean, there's really four possibilities. They could be they could be government craft, as you said. That is definitely a possibility. They could be interdimensional. I think I think some of them are interdimensional, coming from perhaps the fourth density. Uh, Law of One speaks about that. They've, Law of One was from the sixth density. They could be just, they could, there could be actual ET, just like many accounts say, 
and the third density entities coming from a more advanced civilization, just, just like we, we think that they are. And the, the fourth option would be that they are actually terrestrial. They are advanced beings coming from somewhere else in the earth, either from the hollow earth. I just did a video talking about the secret diary of Admiral Byrd, who was an admiral yes. who went to the North and South Pole. And he supposedly, this, the, the, you can't, we can't prove that his diary was true. It's just speculation. But in the diary, it said that he went into the North Pole, he found an opening, and he was taken in there, and there was an advanced alien civilization that that bestowed some secrets on him. And also, if you're a believer in the flat Earth, then, as you know, past Antarctica and the ice wall, there could be tremendously vast lands of, of uh, resources and space there. And perhaps there are other civilizations, and we call them aliens, that come from there. So those are the four that I see. I, I see it too. Like and 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 or or we we could think about this too. Or they're they're out living outside the simulation, and they're maybe they come into our reality to see how we're doing every once in a while. I don't know. <laughs> I just thought of that. But I met that talked about that before though. But they could be like they could be the creators of our reality. They could be the manipulators of our reality. Like for example, they called like if you look at like the stories of the Anunnaki, for some reason they called the Anunnaki the ordainers of destiny. That 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 could go really deep. You know what I mean? Like why did they call them the ordainers of destiny? Like you know, like that would almost seem like they had some kind of control over our reality if you believe that they were actually here, you know, and then I'm open-minded about that too. It's, it's, it's a, it's a toss up for me, you know? Yeah, definitely. The creator of our program reality could easily just write a little code, have some aliens come in. Let's, let's see what it's like. Let's see yeah. how they react to it. Yeah. It's exactly. Who, who knows? This world is so weird. It's so strange that it's, it's, it's a lot stranger than I ever imagined. And then like, you know, and then we have like, just to finish up, I, I just want to ask you about this. What are your thoughts on like all the paranormal stuff? Cause I noticed you don't cover that that much, but what do you think about like, you know, all the ghosts and cryptids and all that stuff? Do you believe? Yeah. I mean, I made a video on ghosts before. I've made 485 videos, so there's a lot of videos to sift through, and some of them get buried in the algorithm. People yeah. ask me all the time, hey, why don't you make a video about this? Make a video about that. And I'm like, I have. But I don't blame people because it's, it's hard to find all those videos. Same, um, same with me. I, I feel the same way. I, I, I think we're the same way in that respect. <laughs> yeah. They probably say to you, hey, you should have this person on your show. You're like, I interviewed them three times already. <laughs> but uh, as yeah. far as the paranormal is concerned, Tom Campbell says that once you understand the basics of MBT, my big toe theory that he laid out, the paranormal becomes normal. It's because we don't understand that phenomena that we think of it as paranormal or other than normal, beyond normal. So that's why I really love Tom because he bridges science and mysticism in a way that I haven't seen anybody else do. But I do believe in the paranormal, if you want to say paranormal, I do believe in it. That is cool. That's cool. I just have two two small questions for you before you go. I wanted to ask you about how you how you thought how if you had fun at the Orlando conference, and then how, if you could just give us a couple tips on how to stay healthy in the matrix. If you don't mind answering those two, and that's that's the last one. Don't worry about it. Ask me what you want. Uh, yeah, the Galactic and Spiritual Informers Conference was held in Orlando. I think it was like October nineteenth to twenty first, something like that, or twenty first, twenty third. 
but yeah, that happened in 2022. Um, I went with my friend Rose and I met up with Chris Sinatra there. It was a three day event, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And, um, yeah, it's you know what's the, the the coolest part of the whole thing was not just seeing those all those awesome speakers on stage. It was getting to interact with all the viewers, uh, the viewers of yeah. my channel, uh, spiritual people. Chris had his own little conference he put together. He had about 20, 25 people in the group. Uh, I videoed it and it, it was it was an awesome experience. You know, it, it's always good to have it's always good to get out of your little cocoon and go into the world. Uh, it's always better to to relate with people in person, I think, than just virtually. A lot more can I happen. Agree. And I, I actually formed a friendship with a viewer that was there. His name is Ken, and we uh, we're going. We, we just started a, a new podcast. It's called. Uh, oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's called We Are One, and. It's we're going to be releasing our first videos probably by next week, maybe later this week. And it's me, him and his friend, MJ. So we're going to be talking about a lot of the things that we talk about on Open Your Reality, your channel. Uh, we may even do some wrap up videos where we may go ahead and just give our thoughts on uh, an interview or some theory or whatever. You know, just just all kinds of cool stuff. So, uh, yeah, it was the the conference. I'd be I, I, to have to go. I'm sorry. No, no. I was just going to say that that overall, I think yeah, that that's most of the benefit of, of the conference for me. Yeah, I, I'd be willing to have you guys on too if you want to promote your podcast. Like I would have you guys, however you want to do it. If you guys all want to come on, we could do a, a big show or whatever. And then the last question I have for you is um, for how to he stay healthy in the matrix. You seem like you stay in pretty good shape. Like, what are your tips for people? If you don't mind. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Uh, man, I have a lot. Of, this is something I could, we could do a whole show on that. <laughs> um, I've researched health as much as I've researched spirituality. And, you know, my, my, my current girlfriend, her 16 year old son, he has some health issues and she takes him to the doctors. And I said, have you ever thought about his diet? Right? Like Hippocrates says, let thy food be thy medicine. And I think so many people overlook the diet. They think, well, he's 16 years old. He can eat what he wants. He'll still be healthy. No, no. You still, it doesn't matter if you're 16, six or 60, you still need to eat a species specific diet. Now I was a raw vegan for a long time. I was vegetarian for a long time. And now I am a raw carnivore. So that means I get somewhere about, I get a lot of my calories through raw meat. And I've made some videos about that before. I know people think it's disgusting. And I know people think you can get sick by eating raw meat. It's not true. I eat raw meat from different places all the time. I eat raw venison, raw elk, raw bison, raw beef. And I'm, I'm fine. I just had some raw meat before, we, before coming on this show. And so what I would say is you want to get off processed foods as much as possible. You'd want to drink only water. Bottled in a, in glass, if possible, spring water is the best. If not, get a water purifier, maybe a water distiller. Distilled water is also good. Uh, if you cut out, I know that some people like the taste of various soft drinks and juices, but honestly, they're all toxic. Water is the only thing you need. That's the only thing our ancestors were drinking, right? We, they weren't drinking Sprite and orange juice. They were drinking water. 
What about I think copy? We need a copy person. Uh, well, the thing with coffee beans is that anything that's a bean basically has a lot of phytonutrients, anti-nutrients in it, and it has oxalates, uh, and it could have mold toxins. So, in that sense, coffee is probably not the best. But if that's the worst thing that you're ingesting, it's not terrible. Okay. Especially if you don't have any serious symptoms from it. Okay. Yeah. And the water is a big one for me. Like, you know, like me and my girlfriend, we like researched that. Like I, she got me a, a water purifier, like a pitcher, you know what I mean? And a filter. And that's really important to me. It's not even just the water that I drink. It's the water that I shower in. You know, I, 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 I'm putting on a, a shower filter too. Um, but like, it's hard to get in a glass. Like, how do you get it in glass? Like, um, do you know what I mean? Like, uh, it's hard to it's hard to avoid plastic. And then, what are your thoughts on alkaline water too? Like, because sometimes I'll just like if I'm if I even though I have the pitcher, like it's hard to fill up the pitcher all the time. I'll grab a couple bottles of alkaline water, but it seems like that might be a psyop, off the alkaline water. What What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I'm not a fan of alkaline water anymore. I used to buy it. I, well, I used to buy it. I used I bought an alkaline water machine back in the day. It cost a couple of thousand dollars. And uh, it was a lot of money. But I thought, you know, water is important. So I I had some money and I put it down on that on that alkaline water machine. And I drank alkaline water for a long time. I didn't feel that much different. You could make it at different pHs, but from what I learned, distilled water is better. So I was drinking a lot of distilled water through plastic bottles. And then I learned that, well, I knew this, that drinking water from a glass bottle is really the way to go if you want to avoid the BPA and the, the, the xenoestrogens that are in plastic. So I drink a particular water I get from a supermarket called Sprouts here in America. I'm sure people in America are familiar with it, especially in Florida. But I drink a spring water called the Mountain Valley. It comes in a green glass bottle, and it's very pure water. And if you do a comparison between plastic distilled water, like in a plastic bottle, and the Mountain Valley in a glass, there's no comparison. The Mountain Valley in the glass tastes way better. It's probably also healthier for you, even though distilled water is very good. So, and it, 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 the Mountain Valley water is expensive. It's about $2.79. I try to grab a whole bunch on sale for $2. Sometimes they go on sale for $2. And I'll buy as many as the store has. And I could drink one or two of those a day. So, the, my water would cost me 2 to $4 a day. Is that, and that you can get expensive. I can get, I mean, like, yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, that's, uh, but it's worth it, right? Because, like, we, we want to have like a healthy body. Like, we want to, it's, it's, it's almost important to nurture your body as it is to, um, I mean, because then we avoid that. We, you know, like my dad died of cancer when he was 51 because he didn't go to the doctor and he, it could have been because he was in the Vietnam War, but like, it also could have been a lot because of his diet and drinking alcohol and, and stuff like that. So like, I avoid all alcohol. I, I try to really watch what I eat. I, uh, you know, I, I'm getting, even though like I'm against the medical system, I still get checked for like prostate and, you know, stuff like that. Cause you almost have to, you know, but I don't know. Like it's, it's hard to, it's hard. It's so hard to juggle that out. Like, like, like it's like, I want to go against the medical system, but like at the same time, like I, I almost want to get checked just to make sure nothing's wrong, you know, because, because of, because of what my dad went through. I don't know. But uh, did, do you have, did you, have, do you, do you deal with the medical system at all? Or do you kind of steer away from it? 
I mostly steer away from it, but I'm always in good health. So there's no reason for me to go to a doctor other than I have an autoimmune condition, which I believe is caused by a leaky gut. But I keep that in great check by my diet because I eat nothing processed. So I'm basically eating uh, raw meat. I have organic vegetables. I've cut out all fruits because they have too much sugar. And the only sugar that I'm getting is from coconut water. I drink that for electrolytes and just a little bit of sugar because I, I play a lot of sports and I work out a lot. So I feel it's beneficial to give me a little, a few more calories. But I generally eat once or twice a day. And I've showed what I eat on the channel before. Um, sometimes it could vary just a little bit, but the staple is always raw meat. And a lot of uh, the other key component to that is eating a lot of fat. So I eat a lot of beef tallow and rendered duck fat, sometimes ghee, which is clarified butter. Uh, that yeah. gives you the calories. The meat gives you the protein, gives you a lot of a lot of essential amino acids, nutrients, minerals, and vitamins. And um, the vegetables just give a little bit of roughage and a little bit of taste. So, and and I always eat organic because the conventional is sprayed with usually with Roundup, which is glyphosate, which causes a lot of problems, which is why people are really sick. And I'm delivering pizza now, and I, I deliver to a lot of people. Uh, most of the people I deliver to live in 55 and over communities, and I see what kind of bad shape they're in. A lot of them could barely get to the door. They have to have me bring the pizza in and put it down on their kitchen. They can't even hold it. The, the uh, They can't even hold the box. Uh, they're in walkers. And the reason is because they're, they've continually eaten that way for their whole lives probably, and they're in bad shape. But the body is constantly renewing itself. So if you were to, if you were to somehow eradicate all of the toxicity in the food that you eat, yeah, sure. The shower water, the water you drink, uh, the air you breathe and all that, the radiation, that's all important too. But for my, for at least from my, in my book, the, the, the food is the most impactful. If you wow. fast for 24 hours, you'll see a difference. Uh, I always do. I feel like I have brand new knees if I fast for about 30 hours or more. Uh, my knees feel good now, but sometimes they could feel just a little creaky, especially if I have some of that coconut water and that's the sugar. Uh, sugar is probably one of the most detrimental things we could eat. We don't need to eat sugar ever at any one time in our system. We have a teaspoon of sugar circulating in our blood. Anything more than that is detrimental and it causes, um, it causes, um, what do you call it? What's the, what's the insulin? It causes insulin. Diabetes. Diabetes. It yeah, well, it causes insulin to be secreted by the body. And that could eventually result in diabetes. But insulin is also the main reason why people can't lose weight because insulin stores fat instead of burning fat. And so especially when you combine the sugar and the fat together, like ice cream or pizza. So what you're doing is you're eating sugar and fat at the same time. So the sugar, instead of getting burned off, like it would be better if you just ate an apple by itself or a banana you'd burn it off much faster if you had no fat with it rather than having the fat there because, excuse me, the, f the fat ends up getting stored and the sugar makes your body secrete insulin so the fat gets stored instead of burnt. In other words, if you were just to eat fat by itself, like if you sat around eating beef tallow, it would just burn off naturally. But when you combine it with sugar, now your body is going to store it and you end up getting fat. So it's little things like that. And for me, I just feel like if you eat well, if you sleep well, if you keep your stress levels low, you drink good water and breathe fresh air, there's really no reason you should be sick ever, a single day, a single minute in your entire life. And, and that's the way I feel about it. But we live in a pretty toxic world. And uh, 
it's hard to get away from that. And that's why, like you said, do you, do you believe in the conventional medical system? If you have a broken bone or you have to get stitches, sure. But I, I went to the doctor a couple months ago to just do an STD test, came back negative on everything. I think that's good to check. And I also did a complete blood panel test. I came back uh, perfect in almost every, every test, except I was low in B12, probably because I was a vegan for so long. I was low in vitamin D, which is huge. And I'm, I want to talk about that for one minute. And I was also, my testosterone, not my testosterone, but my cholesterol was a little high. But that was because I was eating 30 eggs a day at one point, raw eggs. I've since quit the eggs. So my cholesterol pro has probably dropped. Uh, not to say that it's bad to have, a, have cholesterol over 200, because if you look at carnivore gurus, they'll tell you, don't, don't mind what doctors say about cholesterol. It's fine if your cholesterol is high because we need cholesterol. It's actually good for your body. Um, and so with the vitamin D, I read a couple of books and I watched five or six hour long podcasts on vitamin D. And that is a complete game changer. One of the reasons that you might not be able to lose weight, especially in the wintertime, not just because you're eating a lot, but because if you don't get enough vitamin D, your body thinks that it's the wintertime and it actually won't burn fat because it thinks you're hibernating for the winter. But in the summertime, when food is plentiful and there's a lot of vitamin D, a lot of sunlight, your body says, ah, okay, there's a lot of vitamin, there's a lot of sunlight here. It must be summertime. We don't need to store fat. We're going to burn fat. That was a super interesting concept to me. And the other thing is that if your vitamin D levels are too low, it just basically affects almost everything in your body. You have about, I think it's like 25,000 genes, something like that in your body. And about 2,500 of them are switched on and off simply by having enough vitamin D. That's almost 10%. But really it does affect a lot of the major systems in the body. So what I try to do now is I, I'll take my shirt off, I'll go in a bathing suit and I walk in the sun uh, as until I feel myself getting red or burning because I have very fair skin. So I try to do that every day. As a matter of fact, after this interview, I'm probably going to go out and walk in the sun. Thankfully, I'm in Florida where it's the sunshine state. Uh, if you live somewhere in the north, you can't do this. It's probably best to get a lamp. like a, um, I don't know what they call them, but it's like a vitamin D lamp or something like that that could reproduce the sunlight. Or take supplementation. Uh, you might want to start off with 10,000 IU a day of vitamin D, see how it is, and build up from there. But there's a, there's a couple of good... Uh, there's a couple of good people. I can't remember their names right now for some for some reason. Um, but maybe when I I'm, I'm probably gonna do a live stream later. I'll mention them there. Sorry, that was a that was a handful right there. That was a mouthful. No, that's all right. You know, I had um I had Tess Clark come on my show and she was telling me about a UV light. She was she uses a UV light for some reason. I can't remember what exactly it does. I think well, UV is ultraviolet, so that would be the same thing. That would give you vitamin D, right? Yeah, that would be. So I guess it's called a UV light. I just, I just, um, not a hundred percent sure because I've never, I haven't done much research on it and I've never used one. I use a red You don't light. have to, cause you live in the, you live in the, in the nice Florida. I, I live up here in Pittsburgh in the frozen tundra. You know, it's oh. like, it's like, it might as well be green Bay. You know, it's like uh, it's pretty bad, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's cold, but no, but no, this has been awesome, man. Like we've been about an hour and 20 minutes. Like, um, I, I just want to thank you uh, sincerely. Like, this, I really like appreciate you taking all this time out to talk to the, the audience, and uh, and and I know you're going to post on your channel as well. But um, can you tell everybody where they can find you? Any websites? Anything you want to promote? And thank you again. Yeah. So my YouTube channel is as you see, open your reality. Just put open your reality on YouTube. You'll find it. Um, 
I also have a Patreon page, which is under Open Your Reality also. And I have I do have a website. It's also called OpenYourReality.com. So everything's Open Your Reality. And uh, I don't know. I, haven't po- I have a Rockfin channel, but I haven't posted anything on it yet. So maybe you'll see some stuff over there one day. But yeah, that's it. All right. And uh, I'm going to actually either post this today or tomorrow, even though I have videos, because I'm excited. This was a good this was a good episode. So, uh, yeah, I'll send you a link.